Merry Christmas. You guys are spread out. They took away my catwalk. I can't reach you. I feel, again, like we are a bit disconnected. Um, and I feel like these guys are really too close to me, and I feel like I just need a little more space. I'm sorry, nativity scene, mangers, all kinds of wonderful stuff. Okay. Uh, hey, how's it going? We have, like, um, only a couple days till Christmas, and I assume that you've got your shopping done, and you've got all of that taken care of and that all of your stresses have now melted away and you're not worried about family or schedules or any of that, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, welcome to the Foundry Church. If you're new here, if you haven't been here, welcome. Uh, we're, we're all about a better you and a better world. Today we move on in our series. We kind of wrap up. We got Christmas Eve service, which is going to be good as well. But we wrap up our unwrapping, get it, wrap up our unwrapping Christmas series. Uh, and we're talking about a bigger and a better way to understand the gift of God with us. So we've gone through a few things. A couple weeks ago we talked about, we went through the story of, of Matthew and we looked at the parallels that Matthew made between Moses and the Exodus and how he tied them to Jesus and the thing that Jesus is doing about rescuing the people and setting us free. Uh, last week we looked at uh, Mary and the significance of her name and the historical Marys and, and what the stories of Mary in the past of the Hebrew people, what they spoke to, the story of this new Mary and like what potentially, uh, what has the potential to happen through the birth of Jesus, and the birth of Jesus is, is the birth of this whole, nine, uh, whole, whole new kind of kingdom. And so today what we want to do is we want to talk about the star of the show, the reason for the season, ladies and gentlemen, the baby Jesus. Yeah, 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 yeah. And as we all know, Jesus was white with blonde hair and blue eyes. It's a weird sort of thing. Remember how we talked about how Mary was like peaceful and calm after having a baby in her ornamental garb? Now we have a white baby. There may be a few things about our understanding of Christmas that's a touch off, just FYI. So we're going to talk about the story of Jesus, the birth of Jesus. I should add a stubble or something. Highlight. I feel like I feel bad putting the baby on the ground. Like I feel like I should pick him up and carry him. Huh? Is it weird to... to Okay, so this isn't the real Jesus, by the way, in case you're worried. This is not the real Jesus. So uh, let's look at the birth story uh, in, the, in the Gospel of Luke and read through this. And then there, there's something really interesting uh, that I want to talk about. So Luke chapter 2, read with me if you would. Luke chapter 2, verse 1 and following. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This is the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And, anyone, uh, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flock at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. 
Today in a town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angel had left them and gone into, the heaven, into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger when they had seen him. Uh, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed, were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day... When it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. Okay, now, we've got our work cut out for us today. But actually, before we, we get going, this is uh, if you work at the church. <laughs> Do we have a different, I'm, I need a different stand. This is going to be a weird thing, but I just stole a stand from a musician, and he's going to need it. If somebody could find a blank stand at any point and bring it out. Just bring it out, Hank, whenever you find it. I'll just keep talking. You won't bother me at all. Okay, verse 21. What I want to do here is, is I want to focus today on verse 21. And, and if you look at it, there's like, it's broken down into sections. And so this is how I want to talk about it. Let's look at verse 21. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. Okay, so there's like four little chunks here into this statement. I want to talk about the eighth day. We're going to skip the circumcision part, you know, because Christmas. We're going to, I want to talk about he was named Jesus, and then I want to talk the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. So that's how we're going to kind of roll through the sermon today, okay? So let's start with the eighth day. We've mentioned the concept and the idea of the eighth day before, but we've talked about it in light of like Easter and the book of John and how John gives us numbers to the miracles of Jesus in his book uh, and how there's this deep significance that's tied to the concept and the idea of the eighth day. So I'll keep it a bit brief. In the Gospel of John, John records the signs and miracles of Jesus, and he kind of numbers them. And so in his Gospel, what you see is that essentially he gives us the, there's seven signs, seven miracles of Jesus that happen in the Gospel of John. Seven is a significant number in Jewish thought and, and in the history of the, uh, in the, origin, in the Bible. Uh, and it has to do with, it ties us, one, to the idea of creation, and then two, to the idea of completion. So in Genesis 2, it, it gives us this story, Genesis 2, verse 1 and 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, and on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. So God creates in six days, and seven days he rests. So seven takes us to, this, uh, to the story of creation. Seven takes us to the first week of creation, seven days. Seven days God created. So if seven is this picture of creation and a picture of completion, and then the creation happened in seven days, then what would the eighth day be? The eighth day would be the beginning of a new week. The eighth day would be the first day of a new week of creation. In the Gospel of John, he records seven signs and seven miracles, that's the same thing. Seven signs of miracles. And then you have this story of the passion of the Christ. You have the crucifixion, the burial, and then you have the resurrection of Jesus. In John chapter 20, verse 1, it talks about the resurrection. It says this. 
Uh, John chapter 20, verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So early on the first day of the week. So the resurrection of Jesus in the Gospel of John would be the eighth sign or the eighth miracle. This is on the first day of the week, which would be the eighth day. So the concept, that, so you have this eighth sign, which is on the first day of the week, which is the eighth day. So the concept of the eighth day is deeply connected to this idea that there is something new happening. You have seven days of creation, and the eighth day is the first day of a whole new week. You have seven signs in the Gospel of John. The eighth sign, the resurrection of Jesus, ties us to this idea of a whole new creation. This is the beginning of something brand new. It's Monday, but it's a whole new kind of Monday. So Luke 21 says that on the eighth day when it was time to circumcise the child, he's letting us know, he's letting his audience know that the birth of this baby named Jesus is the beginning of something big. It's the beginning of something brand new. There's this new kind of world, this new kind of kingdom that is going to be ushered in with this child. Right? It's the eighth day. So let's look at the verse again. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, skip that bit. He was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. So that's the eighth day. Let's talk about the idea he was named Jesus. Now, when it comes to the name Jesus, uh, normally when we think of this name, you know, it means um, he saves, the Lord saves, something along these lines. But the truth is, the reality is that Jesus wouldn't actually have been Jesus' name, the same way that God wouldn't be God's name. Okay, so let me explain this. Stay with me. Uh, when it comes to the, 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 the name for Jesus in Hebrew is the name Yeshua. Okay, so let me show you kind of how maybe we got from Yeshua to the idea of Jesus. Here's a little, like, um, outline. So Yeshua got translated into Greek, which is Iesus, which is the Greek version of Jesus. And then Iesus got transliterated, not translated, into Latin, which is Jesu. And then Jesu got transferred into English as Jesus. So when we talk about Jesus, the actual word in the Hebrew, the original word is Yeshua. But here's the thing about this word Yeshua. Yeshua, when translated directly into English, isn't Jesus. It would be Joshua. That's how we would translate the Hebrew name of Joshua. Our Hebrew name of Yeshua is Joshua. So an, an angel appears to a teenage girl, and she says, you're going to have a baby, and you will give him the name Yeshua, which is Joshua. Now, are there any well-known Joshua's in the history of the Hebrew people. Yes, we have primarily, the, the, the main one we think of is the Joshua who took over leading the people after Moses died, right, in, in the desert and wandering in the wilderness. And what is it that this Joshua did that was so very significant? Well, he did many, several different sorts of things, but the primary one being is that he led the people out of the wilderness and into the promised land, so the name Joshua is connected to someone who led the people into the fulfillment of the promises of God. It's connected to the one who will lead the people into freedom. It's connected to the beginning of a whole new identity. It's connected to the beginning of a new way of living. It's connected to this picture of people living in harmony with their God in order to create a whole new kind of world. That was the story, which is really cool. Now, if that's not cool enough for you, think about this for a second. We have this whole Joshua connection, but also we have this thing that we talked about two weeks, two weeks ago, and we've kind of mentioned it before. Um, 
that Moses, before he dies, he gives this word to the people that God gives him. So God says, tell the people this. And I want you to see, it's concerning Moses and somebody who will be like him. Deuteronomy chapter 16, 18, verse 15. The Lord your God, this is Moses speaking to the people on behalf of God. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. From your fellow Israelites, you must listen to him. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. I hear a stand. Is that one coming? You go, I thought I heard some. Hey, there it is. That's so fantastic. Let's do a quick transfer. Hey, thanks, buddy. Where was she? Just in the green room. Just in the green room. Okay, good, good, good. My stand has a name. Her name is Lucy. Um, here, I'll put this back to, because uh, I don't want to... Um, my biggest fear is throwing off guitar players. You know what I'm saying? Like that's, we'll get him set up too. So uh, I feel so much better now. I feel so, more, so much more comfortable. All right. So uh, where were we talking about? Uh, let's go back. Let's go back. I mean, okay. Re regroup, Seth. Here we go. All right. So uh, you have this name. Okay. Deuteronomy 18, 15. The Lord your God will raise up a prophet like me. So Moses says there will be a prophet like me coming after me that God will send. There's a prophet like Moses. What did Moses do? He led, set the people free. He rescued them. He brought liberation and rescue to the people who had been enslaved for close to 400 years. So for all this time, since this story in the Exodus happens, all the way up to you know, the birth of Jesus and after the birth of Jesus, the people are looking for a sign for the one who would be like Moses. In fact, it references this in John chapter 6. Jesus feeds 5,000 people. And then watch what, people, what, what the response is. Verse 14, after the people saw the sign Jesus perform, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world, right? So they have this prophecy they're looking for, the one who is to come that will be like Moses. What does Moses do? He rescues the people, set the people free. They see what Jesus is doing, and they're like, maybe this is the guy. So the story of Exodus is the people have been enslaved for 400 years. God sends Moses to help rescue, liberate them, bring them out of slavery. He brings them out of slavery, crosses the Red Sea, and into the wilderness. He dies along the way. And then you have a guy by the name of jo Joshua uh, who becomes the new leader who will escort them out of the desert and into the promised land. Okay, now let's put this together. When you think about this, like how fascinating this is. When it comes to the birth of Jesus, that is Yeshua, that is Joshua, you have Mary giving birth to the one who would be like Moses, whose name is Joshua. So in the name and person of Jesus, you have both a picture of the one who will rescue and set the people free from their slavery and the one who will take them and lead them into the very promises of God. I know, right? Like I'd never, I'd never like put this together. Like he's the complete picture of their journey from slavery into the promised land. What a beautiful picture of Christmas and the birth of Jesus. Now, if that's not enough, let, let, me give you, let me give you one more thought here. Let's look at the last section. Okay, we have on the eighth day, uh, he was named Jesus. The name the angel had given him before he was conceived. Before he was. So the angel appears to Mary and says, you're going to have a baby and you will name him Jesus. You will name him Yahshua, Yeshua. Uh, and then not 
too long later, however long that process takes, plus the time of like, you know, like, like conceiving a baby, nine to ten months, she gives birth to this child. She gives him the name that the angel had given her before the baby was born. Now, if you've ever gone through the birthing process, you know that that's exactly what it is. It's a process. It takes time. It takes development. This life is being birthed. This life is inaugurated in the womb. And then it begins to slowly and surely develop. And you go through nine to ten months of this thing. And then the baby is ready to come meet her new parents. And it's this beautiful thing because you get to go on this journey of the process of life. And, and knowing what we know now about development of children, we get to, you know, like you get to watch the mother's, you know, belly begin to grow. And then you get to know about, well, now it's developing fingers and toes. And now it's the, she's the size of an eggplant, and now she's, you know, uh, her lungs are developing and all this stuff, and you get to be a part of this process all along the way, and then eventually after nine or ten months, she comes out, and you get to hold her and squeeze her and love on her, and here's the thing about having a baby. Um, having a baby isn't really surprising. You kind of know it's coming. The surprising thing is finding out you're having a baby, <laughs> Right? Oops, uh, I mean, yay, right? Like, um, that's the surprising bit. But once you know you're pregnant, you have an idea what's coming. Like, it's not like you didn't know. It's not like you went to the beach one day and then, oh, goodness, I'm having contractions and the baby. No, like, you, you, you're preparing for this. You know what's coming. You're setting up the nursery. There's been signs about this whole thing all along the way. It's been with you for the better part of a year, Right? You're watching the belly grow. You're feeling it change. The mother especially. And, and this is you know, from a man's perspective, so I can only know so much about this whole thing. I get it. I understand it. But also, like, there, there, there's things happening that keep pointing to, yeah, this thing is coming. This thing is coming. This thing is coming. So by the time the baby gets there, 10, 9 months later, the birth of the baby is this tangible expression. It's this physical reality of this thing that started within the mother a while ago. The birth of the baby is this tangible reality, this physical expression of something that started a while ago and has been with them for some time. So the passage says, uh, uh, verse 21, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. So Jesus was the name that was chosen and given before the child was even conceived within Mary, which would also be sometime before the birth of the baby, because it would be 10 months after, however long that period was. So there was something in the works before the whole thing got started. And then when she gives birth to the baby, the baby is the reality of the thing that was already going on. Now, in the Gospel of John, John introduces us to the birth of Jesus in a different sort of way. I want you to see this. You're probably familiar with it, but stay with me. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. So John describes Jesus as the word, as the logos, the one through whom all things have come into being. In the beginning was the word. What do we know about the beginning? In Genesis 1, God created the heavens and the earth. God spoke. God said, let there be light. And what is it that we use to speak what is it that God used to speak things into existence? It is the Word. So how does God create? God creates by speaking all things into existence. He uses the Word to bring things. The Logos, in the beginning was the Word. The Word, uh, this Word was, uh, through, all, through this Word all things were made. God said, let there be light, and there 
was light. Then, of course, you have something like this in Colossians Verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 15. The Son is, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created. All things. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before, he is before all things. Like before he was conceived. In him, all things hold together. So what you end up with is this picture, this thought, this idea that when it comes to the birth of Jesus, Jesus is this tangible expression, this physical reality of something that has been going on for a really long time. The one through whom all things were created and through whom all things are in fact held together. That one, that word, that logos has now stepped into our world as if to say, hey, I, I want to help you to know and understand all of this a little better. As if to say, I'm the one that you've been getting glimpses of all along the way. I'm the one who was here before all of this was conceived. So just as, as, as a mother gives birth to her child, and the child is the embodiment and the full expression of everything that she's been sensing and feeling and going on inside of her for the better part of a year... Jesus becomes the embodiment and the expression of the divine that has been at the foundation of all things that we call life and the world and the entirety of the universe since before any of it was brought into existence. Now, I want to try to give us a new way to think about this. And in order to do that, I need some help from some friends. I have my good friend Joseph Robinson and his, some, some of his friends from the, the Foundry worship team. And I want to invite them to come out, and I want them to help. They're going to do something here, a little experiment that hopefully will help us to think of this a little bit differently, right? I figured, you know what, it's Christmas. It's the last, like, sermon before, well, except for Christmas Eve, which you, you should come back to. It'll be different than this one. Um, so let's have some fun. And do something a little bit different, but not just do something different for the sake of having fun, but do something that's different and really fun and uh, hopefully will speak kind of a profound sense of truth to how we understand the birth of Jesus. Are, are you guys ready? You want me to keep rambling to give you a minute? Just a minute. I stole your stand, by the way. I apologize. I tried to put it back where it was. It's not my fault. Lucy was, was missing. Um, so check this out. Enjoy it. And then we'll come back and finish the sermon.
the bass guitar. actually noticed and thought about the bass guitar this morning was during that solo, right? Raise your hand if that's you. It's okay, be honest. There's an old joke with band people that if in your practice space, if you only have room for a bass player or a mini fridge, you always take the mini fridge, right? But it's just a joke, right? We know it's a joke because we know it's not true. The truth is that for this style of music, the two most important instruments on the stage are the drums and the bass. Guitars are great, I love guitar. Piano is awesome, I love it when Matt plays solos and stuff like that. But all of that's dressing. It's all icing on the cake. The bass is kind of the thing that you really can't do without. And sometimes you don't notice it until it's not there. Right, so we're gonna show you what that feels like. We're gonna play through a verse and then another chorus to this song. We're gonna have Richard not play during the verse and then come back in on the chorus. And I think you'll see what we're talking about, okay? So here we go. One, two, one, two. Says Santa to the boy child, what have you been longing for? All I want for Christmas is a rock and roll electric guitar. And then away went Rudolph, whizzing like a shooting star. Run, run, Rudolph, Santa's got to make it to town. Sing it with me now. Santa, tell them, hurry, tell them he can take the freeway down. Run, run, Rudolph, I'm reeling like a merry-go-round. All that so the whole thing is this what Joe's saying what we're trying to say is this bass player and the drums right like uh, that's the thing that sits at the at the foundation of, of any sort of song and so when you're listening to a song sometimes you may pick up on it sometimes you may not but you may find yourself snapping and clapping and dancing and whatever um, but if you notice when that bass was removed you didn't it's kind of missing something and and when it comes back in, you know, you start to feel that whole thing again. But the truth is, at first, we don't really pay attention to it. It's not until that bass solo, Richard comes out and rocks the bass solo, that we really connect to and tune in to this thing that's driving the song. Like Joe said, it's the most important. It's the foundation of the song. It's the bass line and the drums that's help moving this whole thing forward. That's the bits that you're connecting to. So I want you to think of it in terms like this. The birth of Jesus is like this giant cosmic bass solo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when you heard, what was that, Run Run Rudolph? And you were like, he was talking about Jesus. We went to Run Run Rudolph. He's talking about bass. I think of Jesus, the birth of Jesus is like this giant cosmic bass solo. It's tuning us into the thing that drives the whole thing forward. It's been driving the song of creation and humanity forward since the very beginning. Yeah, what a beautiful sort of thought, right? Like, oh, that's, that's it. Like, so 
when you look at the story and John says, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. Through Him, all things were made. All things were held together. That's the thing you're, t- you're tuning into. That's the thing you're tapping into. The birth of Jesus highlights and connects us to the thing that's been a part of this whole thing, whether we were aware of it or not. The birth of Jesus is the bass solo that tunes us into the baseline that's been traveling through the song and carrying this whole thing forward. Jesus, the word who was with God, was, was God, a part of creating all things. That's the thing that you sense and feel the whole time. And so the birth of Jesus then becomes this physical, physical expression of all of that that you were sensing leading up to it. So let's look at this passage one last time and then try to tie all of this together. On the eighth day... When it was time to circumcise the child, his name was Jesus. He was named Jesus. The name of the angel uh, had given him before he was conceived. I think what this passage does is it ties us into like three incredible reminders and insights about the importance and the significance of Christmas and the birth of Jesus. The first is that the birth of Jesus is the beginning of something brand new. It's the eighth day. It's the first day of the second week of creation. There's something new and exciting that's happening in and through him. Do you ever find yourself, especially maybe this time of year, do you ever find yourself being a bit stressed out about how things are? Do you ever find yourself looking at Facebook posts and how people are back and forth at each other about things like the president? Yeah. You ever, you ever find yourself uh, watching the news and seeing the hurt and pain in the world and, 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 and thinking, man, I just, <clears throat> I just wish we could have a bit of a fresh start. You ever find yourself at the end of a long week going, actually, I can't wait till Monday and like maybe redo this. Maybe I can have a sec. This is all the eighth day thinking. We're ready for something new. We, we need the page to turn, right? This is the hope that we have, that something good can be birthed out of the mess that we find ourselves in. This is the hope that we have in Jesus, that there's something new taking place in a world that is old and dying and corrupt, that there is something new being birthed into the middle of all that. This is the eighth day. So you have all that. You have the, the, this idea of the eighth day. Then the second insight is that You have this one who is the birth of something new called Jesus, and this Jesus connects us both to pictures of Moses and to Joshua. Moses who led the people out of slavery and and, and out uh, out of Egypt, and then we have Joshua who led the people into the promised land. This is another incredible aspect of hope that we find with Jesus, Yeshua, Joshua, that he came to lead us out of sin and death, but not only to lead us out of sin and death, but he came to lead us into the land of promise, to lead us into this deeper truth, to lead us into a deeper way to live and a a way that pulls us into relationship with the divine, the way that we were meant to live. That's the promised land. Come into the life that you were supposed to have, where you have this proper relationship with your creator. The third thing about this about this Jesus and the hope that we have through him is that Jesus is the embodiment of that which has been a part of this whole thing before there was a whole thing. Jesus becomes the, the manifestation of God who is love through, through which all things have been created. I mean, do you realize like what an incredible, deep, profound, beautiful thought this is that to know Jesus, to connect to Jesus, to learn about Jesus, to follow Jesus, to live like Jesus, 
Jesus, who is the truth that will set you free. Jesus, who is the one that brings life and life to the fullest, to, con- to know and to connect with him is to connect to the truth and the life and the love that has always been. It's not just this thing that happened in this moment and this day. No, no, it's, it's the manifestation of that which has always been. The God that brought all things into existence. So the birth of Jesus, his good news and great joy for all the people because it's hope that it's the hope that even in the middle of the mess, there's the beginning of something new. There's the potential for something new. The good news and great joy for all the people because it's the hope that we can be set free and not only set free, but that new life is possible. The birth of Jesus is the good news that brings great joy for all the people because it's the hope that even in the newness, that this newness is really just a picture of the goodness and the love through which the whole story got started in the first place. This is the hope that we have at Christmas. This is why we celebrate Christmas. It points to that which can be made new. It points to the rescue and the freedom and salvation and the new life. It points to the idea that even though there is this newness, that that newness is based on a foundational goodness that is God. And it's all about bringing it back to him. It's so much bigger than one night where this one thing happened. It's so much bigger. It's so much deeper. There's so much more hope and joy and love that is found in this story when you realize that this is a picture of what God wanted us to experience from the very beginning. What a beautiful thing. What a beautiful thing we get to celebrate. We want to take this idea of beauty and we want to, we want to go and we want to celebrate a meal, a beautiful meal that speaks to us a deep truth as well. We have these stations on the side. We have communion. We have a gluten-free option in the back. Um, if you cannot get up and you need somebody to come to you, raise your hand and somebody will come to you. This is a meal that we get to celebrate and honor and remember that at the root of this story, at the root of all of this, is love. It's God that created, that spoke all things to existence. The Bible says that God is love, so he's speaking into existence all things. Love is a picture of all that God is. And so when it comes to the relationship between the divine and mankind, what God wants is relationship, connection. The whole birth of Jesus is because of the love that God is. The whole birth of Jesus is so that we can have this picture of being set free, being rescued from our slavery to sin and death, and then being led into the promises of God. That is this relationship. And so we're grateful for these things. So we take this little bread and we take this little juice, and it's a reminder of the love that God has for us. That through this, there is new life. That through this, we are set free and then led into new life. That through this meal, we are reminded of the love that sits at the foundation of all things. That through this meal, we are reminded that even in the middle of the mess, there can be something new. There can be freedom, grace, mercy, forgiveness. It's all there. 
So we're going to give you time to think, to pray. We've got our prayer wall. If you're carrying some stuff with you, I want to challenge you to write it down. Put it in the prayer wall that gets prayed over each and every week. If you need to talk to somebody, pray with somebody, have somebody pray over you, we've got my man Hank at the cross. It's a good place to do that. Maybe today you just need to sit and think about what the birth of this child means. The newness, the eighth day. The eighth day, a new page has been turned. The name Joshua, Jesus, that connects us to the rescue and the promise. This Jesus who was before all things, who was the baseline of all this. Like, what a beautiful thought. We're connecting to, by, by connecting to this Jesus, we're connecting to a deeper sense of all things. You want to know God, it starts through the Son, it starts through Jesus. Jesus is the one that connects us to a deeper understanding of who God is. So we celebrate this season, and hopefully this leads us to a deeper understanding of the gift of God with us, Emmanuel, the one that would be God that made his dwelling among us. So I'm going to pray, and I'm going to give you space to think, to be, to step into the presence even deeper, to allow God to speak to you in this moment, to be reminded that even in the middle of the chaos and the disorder and the mess, there is something new and good that's possible. Liberation and freedom is possible. New life is possible. 